All right, if you would take your Bible and turn to Colossians chapter 4, Colossians chapter 4, and join me in standing for the reading of God's Word. Colossians chapter number 4, and we're coming to the end of this book. Um, we're going to have tonight, and then next Sunday night, Lord willing, will be the last message in the book of Colossians. We'll finish it up next week, uh, but uh, today we're going to be looking at Paul's Partners Part 3. Um, these these men, although not a lot is mentioned about them, there's a lot to learn from their lives and uh, great lessons for us to apply to us in, in our day and age. All right, Colossians 4, and we're going to look in verses 12 through 14. The Bible says this, um, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you, and them that are in Laodicea, and them in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. And let's pray together one more time. Lord, uh, we do thank you for what you're doing here at our church. Thank you, Lord, for being so good to us, most of all for uh, providing a way of salvation. And Lord, thank you for uh, your word, and I pray, Lord, you'd use it uh, once again tonight. Lord, we've already heard several great verses and truth from your word, but I pray, Lord, as we look into this message tonight, into, your, into this passage, that you'd enlighten our hearts and, uh, and help us to apply the truth to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you for that. Amen. So as Paul is finishing up his book here, he lists a, a several men who were tremendous partners uh, with him in the ministry. And uh, in verse number 7 and 8, he talks first about uh, Tychicus. I remember Tychicus, he uh, was the faithful man who Paul appreciated his friendship and fellowship and his faithfulness so much so that, again, he trusted him to hand-deliver the letters of Ephesians and Colossians. And the encouragement for us there is to also be faithful. Then he mentions another one named Onesimus, and he was the fugitive man, the runaway slave who got saved and, uh, as a result of that, had a new purpose in his life. And even as a brand new believer, jumped right into the ministry, so much so that Paul really wanted him to stay and continue having him help him in the ministry, uh, but um, or just having him have in his company there and, and having him serve while he was in prison. But uh, he knew it was better for Onesimus to get back home and reconcile his relationship with Philemon. But uh, so he mentions Onesimus. And then he mentions, uh, and last week we looked at these three, um, Aristarchus, uh, the fearless man. He mentions him in verse number 10. And Aristarchus, um, he was the fearless man who was willing to uh, follow the Apostle Paul and, and uh, serve alongside him in the midst of great chaotic, crazy things. Uh, he got uh, taken there in Ephesus during the riot uh, in Acts chapter number 19, and then he was still willing to say, hey, Paul, wherever you're going, I'm still willing to go. And uh, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, and he ended up following um, the Apostle Paul 
on that, on that shipwreck uh, scenario. And then now here in Colossians uh, 4, he's uh, in prison. He's a fellow prisoner. So he's willing to be a part of that. And he was just a fearless man. And the encouragement for us there is to have a brave, courageous, courageous spirit as we serve the Lord. And then we looked at Marcus in verse number 10 as well. He was the forgiven man. And uh, he was the one who uh, bailed on the first missionary journey that he went with Paul. And then uh, Paul, he wanted to, Marcus wanted to join again. And, and Paul's like, no way, no how. And, and uh, eventually uh, Paul got to the point where he counted Marcus as profitable for the ministry. And uh, he, this, the man Marcus shows us that uh, we can get back up when we have fallen and encouragement for us to do that. And then also uh, from the Apostle Paul to learn to give others a second chance. And then we looked at justice um, in verse number 11. There's not a lot said about him other than the fact that he was a great comfort to the Apostle Paul. And the encouragement there is for us to uh, be friendly with those within, our, within the family of God, within our church family, to look for those who are going through difficult times and to be a source of comfort to them. Well, now we come to three more men who were mentioned, and uh, with this in mind, let's uh, look at these three, uh, three of Paul's partners, okay? Three more of Paul's partners. In verse number 12, we come to this first man mentioned here, Epaphras, and he was the fervent man. He was the fervent man. In verse 12, it says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you. Now, this man Epaphras is only mentioned three times in Scripture, twice here in Colossians, and then only once in Philemon. And if we look at the first mention of Epaphras, it seems as though that Epaphras was the pastor of the church here at Colossae. If you go to Colossians chapter 1, so just maybe a page or two back in your Bible, and look in verse number 7, this is the, uh, the first mention of Epaphras. And it says here in verse number 7, As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is for you, a faithful minister of Christ. So it seems as though that Epaphras was the pastor of uh, the church at Colossae. And uh, now he's not in Colossae. He is now with the Apostle Paul in prison. Okay, now what, what happened here? Well, and, and what was he fervent about? Well, first of all, he was fervent about his purpose. He was fervent about his purpose. God gave Epaphras a purpose, and, and that purpose was uh, that he was the pastor of this church family. He gave him a responsibility, and you know, Epaphras took it very seriously. Um, in uh, verse number 12, it says this, He always laboring fervently for you. I mean, he was a faithful, and then verse, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 7, a dear fellow servant who is for you, a faithful minister of Christ. He took his responsibilities very seriously. He stayed by the stuff, hung in there in the good, the bad, and the ugly, and there were all three of those, no doubt, and there always is when you serve the Lord. Uh, but when you consider the fact that he is now a fellow prisoner, which we learn about that in Philemon's uh, reference to him. Why is he a fellow prisoner? Well, it seems as though that Epaphras truly cared about his responsibility of shepherding this flock that God gave him to shepherd, so much so that when some heresy began to creep into the church, 
which Paul addressed in Colossians chapter number 2 and 1. Um, when this heresy began to creep into the church, he knew he needed to deal with it and had some questions and knew that the Apostle Paul probably had the answers. And, uh, of course, this was the day before, you know, he could just FaceTime the Apostle Paul and say, hey, to your dear friend Epaphras, what's going on? How's prison? How's the wife and kids, you know? Um, he couldn't do that. He couldn't, he couldn't make, make a Zoom call. He couldn't text him. He couldn't email him. He couldn't call him. So he had to make a trip from Colossae all the way to Rome, where Paul was in prison. And this was a dangerous journey, especially once he got to Rome and began asking about the whereabouts of Paul. And they're like, okay, are you one of Paul's associates? Um, are you uh, also responsible for preaching the gospel and um, messing up culture? But you see, Epaphras cared enough about his purpose that he was willing to do what it took to get the job done. And as a result of that, he actually ended up in prison as a legitimate prisoner. He wasn't just a visitor like some of these other ones were. Um, he was one who was also in prison. Because again, in Philemon, he calls him a fellow prisoner. And so we learn from all of this and we can gather from all of this that, that he was fervent about his purpose. He cared about his purpose enough to see the job done. Now, he ended up getting in prison, and, uh, but he got the message to the Apostle Paul that, hey, there's some things going on in that church that need to be dealt with. Can you deal with them? And, and Paul did deal with them in sending this letter. He was fervent about his purpose. So what purpose has God given you? Well, I'm just a mom. Um, can I encourage you to be fervent about that purpose? I'm just a dad. I... I you, yeah, be fervent about that. Remember what uh, the Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes? Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. And Epaphras was one who was willing to be fervent about his purpose in life. You say, well, I'm just, I just work at this place. Well, again, whatever you find to do, do it with all your might. Whether therefore you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Uh, do it with fervency and with purpose, whatever God's given you to do. And Epaphras was one who taught us that. He was not only fervent about his purpose, but he was also fervent about his prayers. In Colossians 4 and verse 12, it says this, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. He was fervent about his prayers, so much so that the Apostle Paul took notice of this and included this in his letter to the church at Colossae. He said, man, this guy loves you. This guy prays for you. And when he prays for you, I mean, he's serious about it. There is a fervency in his prayer life for you. Do you have a fervent prayer life for those that you care about in this world? Or is it just like, yeah, bless the church family, bless my family, bless, bless. Epaphras was one who fervently prayed for those under his, in his care. He, he believed in the importance of prayer. And I mean, you look at these words here in verse 12, always. I mean, this wasn't just like, well, yeah, one time he had a fervent prayer for you. 
I mean, this was something that was part of his life. He, he, he always fervently prayed for them. And then, and then it says, always laboring. Fervent prayer is work. I know some of us would rather do a bunch of manual labor than have an hour prayer meeting. And sometimes that is easier. Sometimes it's easier to work a long day and do a lot of things and, and accomplish a lot than to spend an hour in prayer for somebody. And, and yet Epaphras was willing to do that, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. And uh, Brother Shane mentioned uh, James 5.16, uh, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so when we do take our request before the Lord, let's be fervent in our prayers. By the way, when, when I think of fervent prayer, I think of Peter as he is sinking in the water. Remember he got to walk on water and he looks around, sees all the waves coming, crashing around him, and he starts losing his focus off the Lord. He starts to sink, and, and then, he, and then he, he, he goes, Lord, save me. I'm pretty sure it was a little more fervent than that, don't you? Don't you think he wasn't like, Dear Lord, please save me. Amen. I think it was, Lord, save me! There was some fervency, there was passion there. And, 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 and Epaphras was passionate and fervent in his prayer life. Now I want us to look here at what he prayed for. He, he prayed for them, but then here in verse 12 we find out what the prayer request was. Here's what Paul said Epaphras was praying for them about. He says, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. He didn't say, you know, I, he was praying for you to all be healthy, wealthy, and wise. He, he wasn't praying for them to be rich and famous. And not that that's a bad prayer necessarily, uh, but his prayer for them in particular was that they would do the will of God for their life and that they would be found in the will of God. And that's a great prayer to pray for all of us. As we pray for our church family, I, I'm for praying for health requests, and I know that those kind of get usually the most, uh, most airtime. And, uh, you know, and job situations and, and family scenarios, and, and those need to be prayed for, but let's not forget the spiritual needs of those around us and in our church family. Uh, we can learn a lot, actually, from Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. And I want us just to take a quick uh, side trip over here to Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 3. And I want us to see what Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus. And just to encourage all of us, when we pray for one another as a church family, and moms and dads, as you pray for your children, I mean, yeah, praying for health and praying for good grades and praying that they, you know, um, could be contributing members of society so they don't live in your house till they're, you know, 85 years old and uh, all that. I, I get that. that that's a good, those are good prayer requests. But more than that, here's some, here's some spiritual prayer requests that we need to be adding to our prayer list for those around us. Ephesians 1 and verse number uh, 16, he says to this church in Ephesus, Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And here's what he prayed. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. 
that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward, who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. See, Paul was saying, hey, look, I'm not just praying for your physical well-being. I'm praying for your spiritual well-being, that, that you uh, learn and, and develop wisdom and that uh, you would experience and understand his power in our lives and that you would understand his presence. I mean, th these are prayer requests that we need to be adding to our prayer list for those around us. And, and Epaphras was one who made sure he included these type of prayers in his prayer time. His fervent prayer time. Ephesians 3, very quickly. Look in verse number 14. He continues on with telling him some further prayer requests that he has for them. Uh, Ephesians 3 and verse 14. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with the might by his Spirit in the inner man. Most of us are so concerned with the outward man and the health needs. And again, not bad to pray for those. But here Paul was praying for the, uh, the health of the inner man, not just the outward man that perisheth, but the inner man that doesn't. So that we would be strengthened with might by the Spirit of the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. I mean, that's a great prayer request to be praying for the spiritual well-being of those around us. So as you pray for me, as you pray for my family, as you pray for our church family, as you pray for your own family, don't just pray that, you know, hey, we'd be physically healthy. I mean, I appreciate those prayers for sure. But let's also include these spiritual prayer requests that, uh, hey, we're, we're, we're concerned about their spiritual well-being. And Epaphras was one who did that. He was fervent about his prayers. And then I want us to see thirdly here very quickly, he was fervent about his people. And they kind of all go together, all of these, but I, I, am, I am mentioning them separately. But verse number 13 of Colossians 4, if you flip back to Colossians 4 and look in verse number 13, here Paul says, For I bear him record, like I can vouch for him, that he hath a great zeal for you. And them that are in Laodicea, and them in Hierapolis. So Epaphras, I mean, he had a deep, great love for the people that he cared that they were in his care. He cared about the church at Colossae. He even cared about those who were in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Those, I believe, churches there uh, is the people that he cared about. So he deeply cared about people. Um, the word great zeal here um, is a great desire to promote your welfare. Um, somebody said, it's a passionate pursuit of anything, uh, of anything. In general, zeal is an eagerness 
of desire to accomplish or attain some object. And it may be manifested either in favor of any person or thing. And uh, it's just having a passionate, passionate pursuit. And, and Epaphras was one who had a passionate pursuit for the people there and for their spiritual well-being. We don't know how big this man was physically, but we do know that he had a huge heart and a deep love for the people God gave him. I'll give you a quick example of this of somebody in Epaphras in my life. We were at a, uh, back in December, um, Julie and I went to a pastor's couples retreat. Um, and it's a great time of encouragement because we get to hear preaching and, and sessions that are directed really for us who are in the ministry. And there's some, we're, 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 we have special needs, okay? You say, are you guys, you guys have special needs? Yeah, we're special needs. I'm a special needs pastor, okay? I am. We're, we all have special needs, don't we? And, uh, but here's, when we were there, uh, we got to meet a few of the different people there. And there was one, there was one pastor that uh, my wife wanted to go meet. And uh, so we ended up going to meet them. And he said, hey, so I do this thing every Sunday where I get up really early on Sunday mornings and I pray for uh, many pastors. I have a I have a whole list of pastors that I pray for every Sunday morning before I go into the office and and do my stuff. And uh, I was wondering if you would like to be on that list. And I said, Yeah. I mean, I I'd, I'd love to have someone else praying for me. I mean, who wouldn't want that to happen? So um, I gave him my phone number, and every Sunday morning he texts me. And uh, let me pull up the one from this morning. Here this pastor says, I prayed for you this morning, Pastor Johnson! Exclamation point. I am excited for what the Lord has planned for you and your people today! Exclamation point. Praying that you make the most of, this, of the blessings today. Thank you for serving Christ. Thank you for your friendship. Have a great day on purpose. So since December, every Sunday morning, I get a text message from him. Uh, today it was 6.41 a.m., and he's up in the, he's up in the uh, north, uh, northeast, uh, up in Maine. And uh, he, he takes the time to pray for all these pastors. He has a big heart. He, he, he's fervent about people. I want to encourage all of us, uh, you, you may not have a list of pastors that you pray for, uh, but hey, for those in your family, maybe you can be fervent about the people that God's given you in your life. And maybe in our church family, you can have a big heart for the people in our church. And, and I want to encourage us to do that. Um, so whoever God has put into your life, um, be fervent about them. Uh, be caring about them. All right, so we see Epaphras. He was the fervent man. And let's, let's move along here very quickly here. Luke, uh, he mentions next. Luke, uh, he is the famous man. And the reason he's such a famous man is uh, because he is mentioned quite a few more times throughout, uh, and, and, and his life is mentioned throughout a lot of the scriptures, uh, a lot of the New Testament. He is a key player in the New Testament. And uh, he was a Gentile who started to travel with the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter number 16. And there he kind of joined in, and uh, God used him in a great way. Now, what, what do we know about Luke, the famous man? Um, well, a couple things here. He, first of all, was a healer. Okay, now, before we get too into 
really, again, I try to alliterate everything, and this is alliterated. I'm not saying Luke healed anybody, okay? Um, in fact, uh, Caleb McCornack in our church understands this truth very much so, um, because I guess it was Wednesday night, is that right, or uh, a while back, um, that he said to Julie, um, uh, my wife helps with the busy bees on Wednesday nights, and at some point she heard this, uh, that Caleb said, I know that doctors don't heal anybody. It's God that heals people. And that is true, Caleb. You are so right, my friend. Uh, anytime that we're healed, it's not because of the doctor, but certainly God does give wisdom and skill to doctors to help us um, you know, uh, to, to give us good counsel so that God can heal us and, and good tools so that God can heal us through those things. And uh, that, was, that was Luke. He wasn't a faith healer going around saying, you know, hey, I'm going to heal everybody. But he was a doctor. He was a physician. In fact, we read about that here in verse number 14, Luke, the beloved physician. So he was a doctor. He was a physician. And by the way, it did make good sense for the Apostle Paul to have a medical doctor accompany him along the way. I mean, Paul dealt with quite a few physical problems during his ministry, didn't he? Once again, in the, to the church at Corinth, he said, Hey, of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck. So throughout his ministry, Paul's body was totally abused for the Lord's sake. And no doubt it was a serious blessing to have a doctor kind of walking next to you and saying, hey, here, let me bandage that up for you, Paul. Hey, let me put some ointment on that bruise there, and, and let, me, let me clean up that cut for you, and, and uh, hey, let me help you through this. Hey, Paul, you need to stop and you need to rest so that your body can have the strength to move on. And, and, and I'm sure Luke had the ability to do that, and, and that was a big blessing to uh, the Apostle Paul. Now, in other words... Here's, here's the point I want to make here, because I don't know how many of us are doctors. Um, I, don't, I, you know, I don't know that there's many of us here who are doctors, but, but Luke used his talents. Uh, I think he was a doctor before he started serving here, and, and he used his talents to serve the Lord and help advance the work of God. Now, you may not be a doctor, but do you have some skills and abilities? I think God has given us all some, a specific set of skills and abilities. And are we using those in the work of God? Are we using our experience and expertise to benefit uh, the Lord's work? God didn't give you the abilities. He did just so that you could make a living and get rich, but also so that you could be useful within the local church. 1 Peter 4 and verse number 10, Peter says this, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So the abilities God's given to you, we're to be good stewards of those abilities and use them not just to benefit us, uh, but to benefit the work of God. And Luke did that. He used his medical training and all of that to help a servant of God and to do something eternal uh, with that particular ability. So he was a healer, but secondly, he was a helper. He was a helper. Uh, see, Luke wasn't just a physician. He says in verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician. He was someone that Paul really banked on and appreciated the friendship and the fact that he was a helper in the work. 
Luke, by the way, stayed with the Apostle Paul through thick and thin. So much so that during Paul's second imprisonment, Paul mentioned to Timothy in his letter, only Luke is with me. And uh, we joke in our family because we have a Luke. And uh, we, we, we say, you know, um, we understand why Paul wanted somebody else to come. And like only Luke is with me. Like that, that's a big problem. We need to have some other people come and help. And uh, so whenever Luke's only with us, it's like, yeah, yeah, we need somebody else to come because this is, this is a problem. And no, I'm kidding. God, God blessed us greatly when God gave us Luke. He is a tremendous uh, kid uh, when he's sleeping. Anyway, so, uh, but Luke, uh, here Dr. Luke in Colossians 4, um, was just faithful to be there with uh, the Apostle Paul. And again, he experienced a lot of the same crazy ministry experiences that um, others uh, participated in as well. He was there for all of it. And again, he was there at the very end. Um, when no one else was willing to stay with him. Here in this first imprisonment, which is where he was when he wrote the book of Colossians, there were several fellow prisoners. There were several people ministering to him. But in the second imprisonment, there was only one, and it was Luke. He was the only guy that hung out there, and everybody else bailed, and, uh, and yet Luke was there. And, and that was a tremendous blessing to the Apostle Paul. And just to encouragement, once again, to be faithful. But Luke, thirdly, he was best known not only as a healer, a helper, but he was known as a historian. Luke was the human author of two books of the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke, of course, and the book of, anybody know? The book of Acts. Uh, the, the book of Acts and the Gospel of Luke, Luke was the human author there that wrote both of those books. And he wasn't an eyewitness for uh, any of the uh, gospel of, of Christ, or the gospel of Luke. He was a he was an eyewitness uh, for a portion of the book of Acts, but he um, carefully and meticulously recorded the events in order that he experienced. But then he sought out eyewitnesses to those events that he was not personally there for. And uh, that took quite a bit of effort, quite a bit of, um, you know, it, it would be a difficult thing to do with the technology we have today, but can you imagine uh, the effort that took in that day? Uh, but he did that, and uh, he was willing to put forth that great tedious work, and uh, he cared enough to labor for a while to write those two history books that we know as the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. So God used this man in a great way, and uh, Paul uh, wanted to point him out. There's one more man here, and uh, you know I know we could say a lot more about each of these guys, but I do want to uh, wrap this up here. But I want to end with this third one here, uh, Demas, and he is the forsaking man. In verse 12, verse 14, Paul says this, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Now, Demas, uh, here's a man who had the privilege to labor with the great Apostle Paul. In Philemon, uh, which is a companion book to Colossians, he wrote it pretty much the same time. I don't know which one he wrote first, but probably right, one right after the other. And in Philemon 20, verse 24, Demas was called a fellow laborer. So he was part of the missionary team that went out and and, and Demas was rubbing shoulders with the Apostle Paul. It was quite a privilege, quite an opportunity. Well, here in Colossians 4.14, uh, 
Only his name is mentioned with no praise attached to it. So, I mean, you, you go through all these. Tychicus, who is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, fellow servant. Verse 9, Onesimus, a faithful, beloved brother. Uh, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you. Marcus, sister, please, please receive him. Uh, Justice, he, which have been a great comfort to me. Epaphras, a servant of Christ. And he's going on and giving all these praises for all these people. And, and Luke, the beloved physician. And then it's like, and Demas. Crickets. <laughs> Nothing good to say here. Nothing good to say. Now, it's very possible that Paul was right here as he writes this, was already starting to sense that while Demas was there physically, his heart was starting to be elsewhere. Perhaps he seemed distracted from the work of God. While the others mentioned here in this passage were all in, Demas, not so much. And later on, it would become clear that Demas wasn't all in. Because in 2 Timothy 4, in verse number 10, it says, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. So he bailed. He forsook the ministry. He left the Apostle Paul. And uh, quite a contrast to Marcus that we looked at last week. Um, Mark failed, but got back up and later became profitable for the ministry. But Demas went the complete opposite direction. Now, why would he do that? Why would he depart? Why would he leave? Well, the reason Paul gives is that he loved this present world. But in 1 John 2.15, we're instructed to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it's not of the Father, but is of the world. Perhaps he chased the money this world has to offer. Maybe it was the pleasure of this world. Maybe it was he wanted the fame and popularity that this world has to offer. It's also possible that he wanted an easier life without the risk involved in serving the Lord. Maybe it was all of the above. But whatever the exact motive, Paul simply says that the overall reason was that he loved this present world. See, no man can to serve two masters. He will eventually choose one. And, and Demas uh, had his eyes set on the world, and that's what he ended up choosing. This decision, of course, no doubt hurt the Apostle Paul. And it also hurt the work of God. For there's never been a time when the laborers were too many. Most of all, this decision, of course, hurt Demas himself because he wasted the rest of his life chasing vanity and things that cannot satisfy. Jesus said this in Luke 9.62, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Let me end tonight with, uh, with this poem. It's called, Let's Not Quit. Someone wrote a poem, Don't Quit, and here it is. When things go wrong as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high and you want to smile but you have to sigh, when care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't you quit. Life is strange with its twists and turns, as every one of us sometimes learns, and many a failure turns about when he might have won had he just stuck it out. Don't give up, though the pace seems slow. You may succeed with one more blow. Often the goal is nearer than. It seems to a faint and faltering man. 
Often the struggler has given up when he might have captured the victor's cup. And he learned too late when the night slipped down how close he was to the golden crown. Success is failure turned inside out. The silver tint of the clouds of doubt. And you never can tell how close you are. It may be near when it seems so far. So stick to the fight when your hardest hit. It's when things seem worst that you must not quit. And Demas, why did you quit? Because he loved the world. I don't want any one of us to quit the Christian life. I don't want us to, any one of us to quit the ministry that God's called us to do. I don't want us to quit in any aspect of, of our Christian life. Demas had the privilege of serving the Apostle Paul, but he ended up quitting because he loved this present world. The things of this world are pretty alluring. I'll give you that. But I guarantee the things of this world cannot satisfy like living for God and following Him. I mean, one more verse and then I am going to for sure be done. I know it's a little later, but we had some special things we did tonight. So I appreciate your attention as we go through these um, three more partners here. But Psalm 16, verse 11, Thou will show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. And at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. So you can chase the things of the world, but I guarantee they're not going to bring you the pleasure like the pleasures that are at his right hand. It's not going to bring you joy like the joy that is in his presence. So stop chasing the things of this world. They're not going to satisfy. We're called to love not the world. And, and neither the things in the world. And uh, Demas shows us, uh, probably here he started to kind of, yeah, he was there physically, but he wasn't all in. There was some things about him that were pretty obvious that his mind and heart were elsewhere. And ultimately, he ended up quitting and leaving. And I want to encourage us all to be all in to the work of God here at Cornerstone Baptist Church and just all in to your relationship with the Lord. Don't quit. Don't love. Don't don't quit and leave because you love this present world. Don't don't be a Demas. Don't be a Demas. Instead, be an Epaphras, and be a Luke. Be Epaphras who is a fervent man. Be a be a Luke who you may not be able to be famous, but you can certainly use your talents to advance the work of God like Luke did, and use your abilities to accomplish what the Lord wants you to, and then. Let's learn from Demas, the forsaking man. Let's decide tonight that we're going to follow Jesus and we're not going to ever turn back uh, no matter how many obstacles or temptations come our way, that we're going to choose to serve the Lord and say no to the things of the world. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to gather together tonight. Thank you, Lord, for the, um, the privilege of being together as a church family and talking about some important things, talking about the future um, coming events in this world and what we should do in light of all of those. And then thank you for helping us and giving us an opportunity to talk about the future of, of just even where we're going to be meeting and the logistics of um, our, our service locations. And Lord, what a good problem to have. And we're thankful for it. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, just grant us wisdom in the days ahead and help us to learn from these men and apply the truths to our lives.